Our sister Anna Park will come and read for us today's scripture. Today's scripture comes from Galatians chapter 6, verses 11 through 18, on page 975 of the Pew Bibles. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. (coughs) For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Well, uh, so here we are. Um, Congratulations, you've made it through uh, 12 weeks of Galatians and... um, you know, we've gotten some really good feedback on, um, on these messages and the way that these messages have kind of stimulated us to think more deeply about what it means to be a Christian, um, a son, a daughter of God. And we're going to conclude our sermon series, Sons and Daughters in Christ, today with... Uh, This message titled, Birds Fly, Fish Swim, Humans Pursue. So, as we look at the conclusion of the book of Galatians here, um, we're going to look at these last eight verses that you just heard read. And uh, we're going to see this idea that we can leave behind the old nature, the the old creation, and we can embrace and become um, the new creation through Christ. And as new creations, we're going to look at this passage and also a couple of other key passages in the Bible um, that talk to some of these important things about new creation and what it means to have a new nature, um, what it means to be born in that, what it means to be, uh, what it means to, uh, to have a new nature and how to embrace that and how to pursue that. So... Um, we're going to do this uh, like we do here in New Hope with three points. Number one, the first point is everybody, whether old or new, pursues something. Everybody, whether old or new, pursues something. And uh, the second point is the old versus the new, or um, another way to put it, being the new creation in Christ that we already are. Right? 
the old versus new, being the new creation in Christ that we already are. And then point three is um, the pathway to being a new creation in Christ. How do I embrace being a new creation in Christ? Okay? So, first point, everyone, whether old or new, pursues something. Everybody pursues something. The question is what? In our current sermon series, we've been learning a lot about uh, identity, right? And how uh, there's two options. We can embrace an identity that we form with our own finite hands, or we can embrace an identity that's forged by God's all-powerful hands. You see the duality there. And one of the sermons several weeks ago, uh, you heard this question posed to you, remember? Is your emotional bank full or is it empty? Is your emotional bank full or is it empty? Are you f- feeling emotionally, you know, ready to just take on the world? Or are you feeling like, I just want to crawl back into bed under the covers and sleep till <laughs> the next weekend, you know? What, it, where, what is the, the status of your emotional bank? And um, one of the things that I thought about is I thought about that question, and I wanted to share it with you, was this. What we fill ourselves with is an indicator of your identity. What you choose to fill your emotional bank account, your emotional well with, that is an indicator of what you pursue. It's an indicator of what you devote yourself to. Recently, I had a chance to spend some time with my cousin um, and uh, had a little funny story um, from this. So he has a wife and two kids, a boy and a girl. And as we were walking uh, to have lunch at this restaurant, it was a real nice day, so we decided we're going to walk. His daughter, who's seven uh, years old, she's like the living embodiment of the Energizer Bunny. She just has an endless supply, or at least it seemed to me, of energy. And here, you know, the adults are just kind of plodding and, you know, their way, making their walking real slow to the restaurant. And here's this little seven-year-old girl. She's like dancing and skipping circles around us. And literally, I think in the time that I, you know, was able to make it to the restaurant, she probably could have gone there and back twice. Um, That's how much energy this little girl had. But then all of a sudden, at one point, she suddenly just stopped. (laughs) She just stopped. She stopped skipping, stopped dancing, stopped singing. And I asked her if something was wrong. And she said she was hungry. Her tank, her emotional tank, had hit empty. And for the rest of the way, this seven-year-old girl who had been skipping a mile a minute was now just like all the other adults, dragging her feet, making like these, literally making these like old woman noises with every step, like, ah, ah, ah. And her mom was like laughing, like kind of embarrassed. <laughs> like, it's okay, we get it, I'm hungry too. And finally, we get to the restaurant, and after she eats her fill, we go back out on our way back. uh, And guess what? She's back to skipping and dancing a mile a minute. And, uh, you know, it was pretty funny to see how direct the the variation was between the amount of food in her stomach and, you know, her dancing and skipping along. Um, This girl, you know, when her tank was full... 
and she was in her element, this is what she did. She skipped and danced. In nature, we see other examples, don't we, of uh, creatures who are healthy and in their element. Simple examples like birds. What do birds do? They fly. What do fish do? They swim. And so what do humans do? It makes us wonder, what do humans do? Humans pursue. Humans devote themselves to something, right? To something, some set of ideas, some um, vision of the future. They pursue, they devote themselves to a person, a relationship, whatever. Human beings, no matter if they identify themselves as religious or not religious, you know, old or young, whatever, right? It doesn't matter. Every single human being pursues, devotes themselves to something. The Bible uses the word worship for this idea, right? This idea that every human being pursues and wants to devote themselves to something. And the Bible calls that worship. So everybody worships something, even if they're not self-proclaimed religious or spiritual. They still worship, even atheists. And so... You know, we've talked uh, as, you know, we've talked about through Galatians um, all these things like uh, loving and pursuing Abba Father in chapter 4. And then in chapters 5 and 6, we heard about being freed from the law of sin and then f- so that we can be freed to love and be and fulfill the law of Christ. So we're freed from this law of sin and death and we're freed into the law of Christ and his love. And that's something that we pursue as Christians. What it means um, in chapter 6, what it means to walk, or chapter 5, what it means to walk in step with the Spirit. So these are all, again, different ways of expressing this idea of worship. Right? Worship is being devoted to and enjoying something above all other things. All right? So keep that in mind. All human beings are worshipers. Always have been, always will be. Um, the thing that does differ, okay, everybody constantly, it's a universal, we all worship. The thing that is different is the object we worship. The variable there is what do you worship? And that variable, that thing that we worship, can be really powerful, so powerful that it can define entire generations. So, for example, here in America, at least, there's a generation of people called Gen, Gen Xers, and they were characterized by their pursuit, their worship of excess and materialism. Okay? Millennials, this generation, they're characterized, uh, among other things, by their worship of social acceptance and social justice, right? making the world uh, a better place. Baby boomers, their generation was characterized and influenced by their pursuit of security and appearances, which makes sense because that was after World War II when the whole world went to pot and, you know, everything was just horrible and people were dying and and they had seen horrible things and it lasted for so long and there was no time for keeping up appearances but so, so there's a reaction to that. And so the baby boomers born after the World War II, they all wanted to pursue that. 
because that's what they felt was missing in the world. <coughs> Excuse me. And then in the 60s and 70s, that was characterized by the pursuit of sexual freedom and just personal liberty and, you know, do what I want to do and, you know, don't let the government, you know, tell me what I can do or cannot do. Personal freedom, sexual freedom, uh, freedom to choose uh, who and what you can marry, right? <coughs> and so we have all these different things around us for us to worship. And human beings are, are funny creatures. We like to cherry pick, don't we? Right? So we, um, based on our personal preference, you know, based on what we see, we like to select what we're going to pursue, what we're going to devote ourselves, what, what we're going to worship. And so you take a human being who's like that. That's just kind of how we are. And then you put them in a world that's like ours, a world that's globalized, you know, the economy's globalized. And so what does that mean? That means that, that we get to see things from all over the world that we weren't able to see before. And how can we see it? With just a simple click of a, a computer button, right? And it pops up on our screen. And then we can experience not just through pictures, but we can experience through video and other people's testimonies about how good this food is and how great this wine tastes and, and all the vacation spots that, you know, when I grew up, the only vacation spot that I knew about was like, you know, Great America and Grand Canyon, you know, and maybe the local swimming pool. But like nowadays, like, you know, you have kids who, because of our globalized world, you know, who've been all over the world. They've been to different parts, Western, you know, Northern, uh, Southern, all over the world. The world has become a larger place, and at the same time, it's become a smaller place. And so what has this done? This has, all it's done is it's increased the menu of vices from which we can select and pick and cherry pick. Before, it was just here. You know, you grow up in this area, and so that's all there is. All that it has to offer, your neck of the woods. But now it's the entire world, and all the different things that you see in the world. And with the click of a button, you can enjoy it, experience it. You can go there, and you can pursue these things. We have so many more choices now than we did before. And what does that mean on a spiritual level? What does that mean uh, for what we're talking about today? That means that there are so many different candidates that are vying to replace God in your heart. So many. It's a, it's a huge, delicious buffet of vices. Um, this globalized world, it provides us with an infinite variety of things to see. And what does this show us? That all human beings, we love to love things. We love to pursue things. We love to worship things that's at our core. We are worshipers. So then, if we're all worshipers, what determines the, the thing that we try to worship? What is it that makes one person choose this and another person choose that? 
right? Because we're all worshiping, but the only difference is what we're worshiping. What makes a person choose this over that? Well, the answer to that is, I think, pretty simple. The object of a person's devotion and enjoyment and worship depends on that person's nature. A person's nature, in other words, determines what he worships. Your nature determines what you pursue. Your nature determines what appeals to you. So if you are a cat, then a ball of yarn appeals to you. If you are a dog, a ball of yarn does not really appeal to you. You see? Your nature has a big factor in determining what appeals to you, what you pursue, what you worship, what you find attractive. It's all based on your nature. So what does the Bible tell us about our nature? Well, look at verse 11 of our passage today. The Bible's kind of funny. It has a sense of humor. Look at verse 11. It says, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. If you're not familiar with Paul, this is Paul being sarcastic. <laughs> you know, Paul is saying, See with what large letters I am writing this to you in my own hand. A lot of times back then, people would have uh, uh, dictation. You know, people who would write the letters and they would, you know, uh, dictate what the letter is and then they would have someone who would record it. But Paul felt that there was a point here that was so critically important for his audience to understand that he decided he's going to write it with his own hand and not just that, he was going to put it in like 65 font, you know, point font, right? So <laughs> he says, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. So then what is this point that Paul's trying to make that he wants to make sure we don't miss, right? What is this point? This hugely important point is seen in verse 15. You can look there. <clears throat> for neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. This is the point that he's trying to make sure you don't miss, that I don't miss. That we've been talking about circumcision. So if you've been with us, or maybe if you haven't, the last few weeks, what have we been talking about? We've been talking about how the Galatians, they thought that circumcision, which is, you know, a ritual, a rule, that they thought that following a set of rules is going to get them to, to God, right? To ultimate paradise and happiness and peace. And Paul's building this argument to show that, no, it's not following a law like circumcision that's going to lead to that. And we've, we've kind of talked about that, you know, a lot because it's, it's emphasized here. I think maybe what we've missed a little bit, and Paul is, is uh, you know, he's making sure that we don't miss it, is the other part is uncircumcision. So he's saying circumcision counts, does not count for anything, nor does uncircumcision. Now, if circumcision is a symbol for following rules to get to some sort of paradise, then what does uncircumcision mean? Uncircumcision is a symbol for then just doing whatever you want. No regard for any rules. The only rule is yourself. That's uncircumcision. You just follow your own rules. 
Who cares about other rules? And what Paul is saying here, it's, it's not that either. So you, we, we may think, oh, so Paul is saying, God is telling us that we don't have to follow any rules to get to heaven. Great. So then that means I don't have to follow any rules at all. And Paul's saying, actually, it's not quite like that. Now, it's true that we don't follow rules to get to paradise, you know, to get to this peace or whatever, you know, you want to call it. But, he says, nor is uncircumcision. We are not to just do whatever we want. And we see this uh, all over uh, scripture in Romans. It tells us, you have been saved by grace, but then shall you go on sinning all the more so that grace would increase? Of course not, Paul says, and probably there in large letters. So you see, it's not just about following rules, but it's not, Christian life is not about not following the rules either. Then what is it? In large letters, he says, it's about a new creation. It's not about what you do first. It's about who you are first. You are a son of God. You are a daughter of God if you are in Christ. And then from there, everything else flows. Your decisions, your thoughts, your desires, your pursuits, your devotion. It all comes from what? Your new nature. Because your nature determines that which you pursue. Does that make sense? So if you have a new nature in Christ, what do you pursue? You pursue the things of Christ. Very simple. If you have the old nature, then you pursue the things of the old nature. This is a very simple concept, but sometimes it's very easy with the distractions of life to forget about. So in God's eyes, the only thing that really counts, that really matters, first, is are you a new creation in Christ? Do you have the blood of Christ on you? And then second, if you do have the blood of Christ, how is that impacting your life? Or is it? So this is point number two. Being the new creation in Christ that you already are, assuming you have Christ. Now, of course, if you don't have Christ yet, that's okay. Everybody starts somewhere. The invitation is open to everyone to receive a new creation. So being the new creation in Christ that you already are, if you have Christ. Look at verse 14 and 15 in our passage. But far be it from me to boast except, can everybody read that with me? Except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which, keep going, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Do you see that? The old nature, being embracing your new creation, your new nature, means that you forsake your old nature, your old creation, your old nature. 
How do you do that? You do that through the crucifixion of Christ. Far be it from me to boast in anything except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to be celebrating Good Friday in a couple of days. What is Good Friday about? Well, among many other beautiful, wondrous things, it's about the fact that your old nature, which leads to death, your old nature, which is all about yourself, it's crucified, dead, and buried. But then that leaves you with no nature, right? So God replaces that old nature with the new nature. The old has passed away. Let me share with you uh, a passage, guys, back there. Second Corinthians uh, chapter 5. Do you see it? Verse 14. There should be uh, some slides. <clears throat> there you go. Thank you. <clears throat> For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. That's talking about our old nature. And we're going to be thinking about this all this week and Good Friday, right? He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves. So again, there you have it. It's, that's the idea of the uncircumcision. So do we, since it's not about following rules, then we just do whatever we want, right? No. We no longer live for ourselves, but rather we live for him. There's, a, again, that idea of pursuing, devoting, worship. When you live for somebody, you worship them, right? You live for Jesus, who for their sake died and was raised Easter. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, in other words, we just thought he was a man, right? We didn't think he was the, the son of God, the lamb of God who had died to take away our sins. And, and in, his in his crucifixion, our old self dies but then our new self is raised with him in the resurrection. We didn't see that until we received faith and salvation. We once regarded Christ according to the flesh, but now we regard him no longer. And here's, here's uh, kind of the, 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 um, the uh, what's the climax here. Verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a, read that, new creation. There you have it. Keep reading. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. All this is from God. It's not about following rules, but it's not about just doing whatever you want either. It's about being the son of God that Christ died to make you to be. It's about a calling, isn't it? You've been called. I've been called to be a son of God. You've been called to be a daughter of God. No longer to live for yourself because that died. And thank God that died because we all know, right? 
who, those who are in Christ, we no longer see according to the flesh. Now we see as truly. And so we're glad that our old self has died. We're glad that that old nature has died. Even though some of those pleasures would be pleasurable, even though some of those things appeal to us, we're glad that died because now we can see truly where that led. And now we see truly where Jesus leads. And this is our new nature. The old creation produces old fruit. The new creation produces new fruit. So what does this fruit look like? Well, God, being very kind, gives us a very simple list here in chapter 5. We've read it before, but we, can't, we haven't really kind of sat on each of the things, and we're not actually going to do that either today, but I do want to spend a little more time just kind of individually looking at what does the old nature look like, and what does the old nature pursue, and what does the new nature look like, and what does the new nature in Christ pursue. So um, if you would, and I think we have it up here, right? We also have a slide, guys. Galatians chapter 5. There you go. Thank you. All right. So the works of the flesh. That's another way of saying this is what the old nature looks like. Okay? So the old nature looks like this. These are the works, the fruit of the old nature. As we go through these things, both lists, I want you to just say, God... Speak to me. And God's not going to speak to you in, in uh, angry, wrathful, I'm going to get you. Because he already put all that wrath on his son. That's already done. Instead, when you read these lists, and when God speaks to you, he's speaking to you to give you life. And to take you away from the old, and to help you, to teach you to, how to embrace the new. And part of embracing the new is learning how to identify the old, right? If you don't know what the old is, you might mistakenly keep embracing the old. So God, in his gracious wisdom, tells us, here's what the old is, okay? So as you read this, we're going to pause at each one and just let the Spirit speak to you in grace, okay? To lead you to the new. Sexual immorality. That's a tough one, right? With the advent of the internet, it makes it so easy. You know, when I was a kid, I remember like you would go to the 7-Eleven and they would have the, those magazines and they would be wrapped in plastic and blacked out. And as a kid, I'd always wonder, what is that, you know? And my dad would be like, you know. Or rush me right past the magazine rack, right? And offer to buy me a candy or something. He never did that, but... <laughs> you know, so... Sexual immorality, but now it's just, like, everywhere. I mean, I'm dri- I w- we were in L.A. this past week, and I'm driving down the freeway, and literally every two, three miles, I see a billboard for, you know what? A strip club. And here I am driving with Joshua, little Joshua and Jeremiah and Kayla. Like, what am I supposed to say to them? How sad, right? 
That's, that's the fruit of the old nature. That's what appeals to our old nature, sexual impurity. What is impurity? When something is impure, when it's not all the same, right? So what is on the surface is not actually what's on the inside, right? Hypocrisy. Do we have hypocrisy in our lives? Sensuality, living for the senses, living for the adrenaline rush, living for the next dopamine rush, you know, living for, you know, we're all, you know, with, with, with the globalized world now and food network, now all of a sudden all of the cuisine of all of the world is now at our fingertip, right? Now I can be a glutton not just with American food, I can be a glutton with any food, right? I've been educated. <laughs> Sensuality, appealing to my senses. Idolatry, replacing God in our hearts. Sorcery. What? We're in the 21st century. What is sorcery doing up there? It's God says. It's there. And this is another topic for another day, but I've seen things that would be empirical evidence to see that, yes, sorcery still is a very real thing in this world. Okay? And if your kids ever, if you, if you have kids who you send them off to like a uh, sleepover and then they come back and you hear that they were playing with a Ouija board or doing other stuff, calling on, you know, anything, uh, any other spiritual presence other than Jesus Christ, that is dealing with the dark forces of evil that we see in Ephesians. It talks about it there. And that's sorcery. Fortune tellers. Anybody like to dabble with that or look at the Zodiac? That's part of sorcery too. Interesting, right? Because all of that is, I want to know something or I want to have another power, an extra power. But the problem with that is that power, that extra knowledge is coming from a source other than God, the author of life. And so again, it's replacing God with something else. Enmity. Anybody here any, have any like hostile feelings to anyone else in this room? <laughs> or at your work? Or in your family? I know I do. Strife, jealousy, fits of anger. I think a lot of um, men have anger issues. But you know what? I think a lot of women have anger issues too. Um, because a lot of women have been abused. And what happens when you're abused? At some point, it turns into anger. Same thing for men. A lot of our anger comes from being abused, being violated in some way, emotionally, physically, relationally. And so we have this anger built up because we don't know how to deal with it. So if you have fits of anger, that's the old. Rivalries, dissensions, divisions. We got to watch out for that, especially in the church. Envy, drunkenness, drunkenness, any kind of altered state of mind, you know, uh, where you're not in control, whether it's through um, an herb <laughs> or whether it's through uh, distilled liquor, alcohol, or whatever, some kind of chemical drunkenness. Orgies, again, kind of next to sexual immorality. You know, when I grew up, I thought, oh, orgies, that's like sorcery. It's like back then. 
it, we don't have sorcery and orgies now. Well, I was wrong on both counts. We do now, right? Especially with the internet Tinder, right? And now, you know, the whole idea of having multiple partners at the same time, that's like it's made its way into, you know, main, mainstream media, hasn't it? Our movies, our songs. Your kids are listening to these songs, whether you know it or not, whether they know it or not. Things like these. I warn you, this is God, not me. As I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Because those things are the things of the old nature, and the old nature does not belong in the new kingdom. It's incompatible. And so, what does, what is compatible with the new kingdom of God? Here, the fruit of the Spirit is, here's the new nature, here's what the new nature looks like, love, joy. It's hard to have joy in Silicon Valley when you're just in the dog race every, every day, right? You're just like, trying to make it, barely make it by the skin of your teeth. Who has time to be joyful? It's hard, isn't it? But there it is, joy. It's not going to happen naturally. It's got to happen supernaturally by the Spirit of God, not by the Spirit of man. That's why it's there, capital S, Spirit. Joy, peace. Same thing with joy. You know, How do you have peace here in Silicon Valley? It's hard. Patience. If you're a parent, you understand that's hard. Right? If, you're, if you have siblings, you understand that's hard, right? Patience. You have friends who are always kind of mooching off of you. That's hard. Patience, right? Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. The world does not honor faithfulness anymore. It doesn't value faithfulness anymore. You don't have to be loyal. In fact, the world praises those who are loyal to themselves. They say, yeah, that guy, he's, he's ruthless. He's my role model. But the person who's loyal, they, even, they have a word for it, don't they? Loyal to a fault. Hey, guess what, guys? Jesus was loyal to a fault because it cost him his life. If it's good enough for Jesus, then it's good enough for anyone who would come after him. Amen? Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, I was saying in the first service. Gentleness, self-control, in this world, they see those as signs of weakness, don't they? If somebody comes at you and you respond with gentleness and self-control, the overall opinion of you in that room is you're weak. In my weakness, Christ's strength is made perfect. Christ had all the power. He had all the opportunity when he was hanging on the cross to call down seven legions of angels. But he exercised gentleness and self-control and died quietly. That's real power. That's real strength. Against these things, such thing, there is no law. You can never 
be penalized for those things in God's eyes. 24, can you read that with me? And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Amen? There you have it. A picture of the old nature that was crucified with Christ. And then a picture of your new nature for anyone who receives with faith the blood of Christ to wash away your sin. I know um, it's hard. This, this whole idea of out with the old, the old has passed away and the new has come, it's hard to understand. And we're going to do a sermon series coming up called Already But Not Yet. To give you a sneak preview, that's how this works. You are already, if you have received Christ and you confess with your heart and your lips that he is Lord, you are already, in God's eyes, a son of God. Whether male or female, you are a son of God. And that will never change. The Spirit guarantees it, the Holy Spirit. So that's already. But here's the not yet part. Not yet have you fully matured. Not yet have we fully understood what it means to give my life for the mission, for the gospel. I'm learning. I'm on the way. I'm in process, but not yet. And that's, if you're a Christian, that's where you're, that's where you're operating in, that little zone of not yet. But never, ever, ever doubt that already that status is sealed, signed, sealed, delivered. It cannot be reversed. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, neither life nor death, heaven nor angels, demons. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So already you have the new nature. If we were to make it kind of silly, let's say your old nature was a cat and your new nature is a dog. How weird would it be if you are now a new nature? God has made you a dog, but yet you keep on meowing. Can you imagine a dog? Just imagine a dog going around, and then every time it opens its mouth, it goes, meow. Like, that'd be kind of freaky. But that's what it's like, right? When we as Christians, who have a new nature, go back to our old nature. It's like a dog meowing. It's just a weird, it's not right. It's, it's wrong. It's, it's, it's weird. It's creepy. Because your nature is in Christ now. And you are freed from that top list. And you are freed into the bottom list. You are a dog, no longer a cat. Be the dog. (laughs) I don't know if you've ever thought that you would hear a pastor telling you to be the dog. But there you have. Be the dog. Be the new nature that God created you to be. Let's let's do that together. I'm going to close with this. Um, Point three is this. How do we embrace this new creation in Christ? If we're in the not yet, 
How can we continue in this process? If we're in the process, how can we take a next step, right? Um, I've been a Christian, just my own experiences, I've been a Christian for uh, um, almost 30 years. And in those 30 years, it's taken me so, I must be dumb or something, because it's taken me a long time to understand how to be a dog and how to get rid of my catness, right? It's taken me a long time. And even up to five years ago, when I was like 38 years old, grown adult with a grown family, I still found this concept of embracing my identity, my new nature, I found that concept very elusive. Do you feel that way too? Does it sometimes like, how, do, how come I'm, I'm a Christian, but I, yet I still struggle with all these stupid things? That's how I was struggling. And um, as a young kid, one of the things that I remember we talked about, your nature determines what you pursue. In my old nature, I would pursue social acceptance. I wanted to be accepted by people. And if somebody didn't like me, I'd stay up all night and try to figure out why. What did I do? And what did I say? And what can I do? And what can I say to make them like me? Right? And, and I was so afraid of offending people. Right? And so that's why I became a pastor. Right? <laughs> and so here I am trying to figure out how to do that. And this has been my struggle for most of my life into adulthood. And then five years ago, God showed me something that really helped me to understand my identity, a new way to understand identity and this elusive concept of identity, new nature in Christ. And it was so compelling and exciting for me that I remember exactly where I was. It was at a Starbucks in Castaic, which is a little town north of where I used to live in Valencia. And I was at a table by myself, a round table. I had my my MacBook Pro, and I was prepping a sermon from the Gospel of John. And I was reading this, and and in, in one of these key passages, God showed me something that completely illuminated my understanding of my identity in Christ and it changed the way that I wanted to teach others about it because I know I can't be the only one who struggles with this. And so last year, you know, when Pastor Seuss and I were talking about this sermon series that we're concluding today, we're talking about it last year. Yes, we do work, right? And we were talking about it and I knew that I had to share that passage that God had shown me five years ago. And actually it was this, we've been talking about family business this passage is where I got that idea from, the family business, okay? And so, and so you've been hearing about this idea of the family business. This is where I got it, and now I want to share it with you, and I hope it will bless you like it's blessed me, okay? In John chapter 15, thank you, <clears throat> it says this, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call, this is Jesus talking, call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. Now, imagine me sitting there at Starbucks, and my whole life I've been struggling with this idea that people don't like me. I don't have enough friends. There's something in, 
essentially unlikable about me. And I got to do whatever I can to try to make myself look good, be, become good at sports or music or whatever, right? And all of that was done so that I could gain friends. And then when I became a Christian, you would think that would have disappeared, but no, it didn't. I was still a cat. I, I'm a dog, but I was still <laughs> meowing, okay? Already I'm a dog. I know that. You know that, right? But I was still acting like a cat. And so all the sins that I was doing before I became a Christian, I was just doing, but in a Christian way. <laughs> and doing all the right things in church. Why? So that people would like me and accept me. And it got to a certain point where I started to get resentful of God. God, I'm doing all this stuff for you. Why aren't you changing me? God, I'm doing all this stuff for you. Why do I still have problems in my personal life? Why do I still have conflict with people and people? You know, oh, I hate drama. Can you just take the drama away? Guys, you with me? Right? I hate drama. Take it away. And it got to a point where I was like, I'm fed up with this. I do all this for you, God, but you're not doing anything for me. Sound familiar? I felt like, verse 15, a servant, a lowly slave servant. And as I'm prepping this sermon to bring to people, to give them some kind of encouragement and hope, God pulls this on me. He says, for the servant does not know what the master is doing. I'm like, wait a minute. I'm no genius, but I think I know a little bit about what the master is doing, giving his son to save people who don't deserve it like me. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. And there you have it. My whole life, I was looking for friends and social acceptance, and I, and I was working so hard to get it. And, but it, didn't, it was a fruitless pursuit. Every human pursues something, right? That was my pursuit. And I reached the end, and I realized it's still not good enough. I'm still hungry. And then God gives me this passage in John 15. I no longer call you servant, but now I call you, it's like a promotion, I call you friend. Now, here's, let me share this, this is really amazing. The word for friend in Greek, in English it's just friend, yeah, hey friend, amigo, whatever, you know, it's like, it doesn't even mean anything anymore. In the Greek, I wanted to know what it means, what was Jesus actually calling me? And in the Greek it says this, a friend is someone who is dearly loved, someone who is prized. Jesus prizes me, he doesn't just like me, he prizes me in a personal, intimate way. That means he knows my flaws, and yet he still prizes me. Jesus must either be very loving or very blind, right? This word friend, philos, is a trusted associate. Wait, are you telling me that God of the universe, like, he literally calls me a trusted associate? Wow, I'm a partner. And this is where that idea of family business came in. I'm, I'm a part of the family business of God. Who cares about 
you know, Google and Apple and IBM and whatever huge mega company you can think of, right? I'm a part of God's family business, and I'm not just a servant. I'm his close, prized associate. It goes on, confidant. He tells us. He makes known his mysteries, his secrets, his dreams. And he holds dear. Philos is someone who is held dear in a close bond of personal affection, not coerced, but by choice. You ever uh, been forced to share toys with your cousin when you were a kid? Be nice to your cousin, your parents tell you. I don't want to. Well, it doesn't matter if you want to. Just do it, okay? So you're being nice and you're loving this cousin because you're forced to, not because you want to. You know what, God? With God, he is not forced to love you. No one's forcing him to love you. He chooses to love you. This is what it means to be a philos of God. It says it right there. Look it up yourself in John chapter 15. He sees you as a philos. And all who receive the blood of Christ, you are accepting the invitation to philosship, his friendship. And you are no longer called a servant. And if you're like me, your desire to be accepted and to have friends and to belong is ultimately and never failingly fulfilled here in Christ. Amen? This is your new nature. If birds fly and fish swim, humans worship God. That's what we do. That's what we were meant to do. And that's when we're most happy, like that seven-year-old girl skipping and dancing. That's when we're in our element, when we're in philosophship, friendship with Jesus Christ. Over the past 12 weeks, if you've had any questions about anything in the sermon, or maybe today, feel free to talk to me. I would be more than happy to sit with you and talk with you and hear what God has been putting on your heart. And we can pray together, and then we can then together move one more step, one more small little step in that not yet of embracing your new nature. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. We pray that we would embrace our new creation, our new nature, and that we would hold on to the promise that by the power of the Holy Spirit, not by the power of our human spirit, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, we can crucify our old nature, and all of those things that lead to destruction. And instead, we can embrace our new nature as creations in Christ. Thank you for this gift. And now may we run, may we fly, may we soar, may we swim as new Christians, co-heirs who are with you, as philos and cohares who are like you and resemble you as you are in us. In Jesus' name.